0: Big ugly bunny man hiding in the shadows Waiting to haunt your dreams when you go to bed Down comes his hatchet when you least expect it If you don't move quickly, he will split your head Big ugly bunny man, I don't want to see you Hiding in the shadows when I go to bed Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. Today we are discussing the Bunny Man, an urban legend that is rooted in fact, about a killer in a fuzzy bunny suit. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Life had been great in Clifton, Virginia for Frank Morris. He was a successful real estate broker. He had the most successful firm in Fairfax County. He had married his high school sweetheart and they had built their dream home all by the time he was 30. They had even decided to extend their family. But when the real estate market crashed in 2008, his net worth dwindled to a mere 10% of what it had been a year before. He may have been able to hang in there and recover his losses as many did over the years, but he sought the comfort of alcohol and over time it consumed him. He eventually lost his wife as well when his addiction became unbearable. Fifteen years later, Frank, now called Flush Frankie by many, could be found collecting cans from dumpsters and along the roadside in Washington, D.C. during the day when he wasn't sleeping off the bender from the night before. He had moved to D.C. after they had foreclosed on his house because there were better options for cheaper housing. Now at 45, he was divorced, destitute, alone, and homeless. To most, it would look like Frank had already hit rock bottom. But rock bottom for him was knowing that he may lose his life. He had been scavenging for aluminum on one of his usual streets, which was getting tougher with so many people recycling, when he found a wallet laying on the sidewalk. At first, he had thought it was trash, but inside he found a crisp new $100 bill the shakes had started this morning shortly after he found the bottle of cheap vodka laying next to him empty one hundred dollars was enough to keep him medicated as he liked to call it for a few days he shoved the cash deep into his pocket and tossed the wallet into the nearest dumpster then headed to the closest liquor store in less than an hour he was back in the dark alley inside the lean-to type of structure he had built out of old pallets and cardboard drinking his cares away. He was halfway through his second leader when he finally passed out or rather everything went black. He didn't remember what happened between that time and when he began to wake in a hospital room. He could hear voices that he didn't recognize through his haze of semi-consciousness. They should have just thrown him in the dumpster trash like that or just a drain on society he heard a male voice say. A female replied to the comment. Now, Joe, you know that as long as a person is alive, there's still hope for change. You can't treat a human being like they're garbage and just toss them away. Frank began to groan, wanting to agree with the guy. He felt like he was probably closer to right. If he wasn't such a coward, he would have already taken his own life instead of drinking it away. He was finally able to force his eyes open and the lights of the hospital room were blinding. The full force of sobriety hit him. It had been years since he had felt the harshness of reality so strongly. He saw the two nurses who must have been talking about him leave the room before realizing he was awake. He was relieved. He wasn't interested in being poked and prodded. Maybe now he could escape unnoticed. Frank sat up and began to throw his legs over the side of the bed when he noticed that he was hooked up to machines and there were several different tubes running out of his body. Could he possibly disconnect them without hurting himself? He was trying to solve that problem when the doctor walked in just in time to catch him trying to remove the IV from his arm. I don't know where you think you are going, but you won't make it very far in the condition you're in. The doctor looked to be about half Frank's age. "'If you will lay back and rest, I will explain your condition.' His voice was gentle, and Frank didn't have the strength to argue, so he laid back down on the pillow. "'Mr. Morris,' the doctor began, "'you have acute liver failure. You were brought in with alcohol poisoning, and it seems that your liver had already sustained too much prior damage.' He then paused for a moment and flipped through some pages on Frank's chart. You won't live long if you don't get a transplant. We have equipment here that can buy you some time, such as the liver support system that we have you hooked up to now. I'm not trying to be rude, but I'm going to assume you have no money and no insurance. If that's the case, I can send someone in that can help you to explore some of the programs that the state offers to help in these kinds of situations frank was stunned he only half heard the last part of the conversation all that he took away from what the doctor had said is that he was dying laying there completely sober for the first time in years frank could feel every emotion acutely he was scared and he was angry But most of all, he was ashamed that he had done this to himself. The next couple of days were a blur. Nurses came in and out. A lady came in and talked to him and helped him apply for assistance to pay for his medical bills. Most of the time he spent thinking about what he should have done differently with his life, while the machines beeped and buzzed around him. It had been three days since the doctor had told him about his death sentence when the office lady came back. She told him with no emotion whatsoever that he had been found ineligible for every program that the state offered. With no money and no insurance, there would be no transplant. Frank chose to be discharged, and a few hours later he was wandering down the street more lost than he had ever been. He had lost everything except his life, and now he was going to lose that too. He didn't want to die on the streets, cold and in pain, and he didn't want to die alone in a lonely hospital. He wanted to die an exciting death, something that would make people remember him, but he was still too afraid to take his own life. Suddenly, he remembered a story that he and his friends had heard when they were kids growing up in Clifton. It was the legend of the Bunny Man. It started with the escape of a mental patient from a local asylum that found refuge in the woods around the bridge in Fairfax Station. The man was distraught by the murders of his wife and daughter, that he had actually committed himself. He remained in hiding and lived on wild rabbits to stay alive, leaving them half-eaten and using the other half to make his bunny suit. One year on Halloween, some children were hanging out near the bridge around midnight, and they were confronted by the bunny man. He murdered them in a blind rage and hung their bodies on the bridge next to the dead rabbits. It was said that if you stood under the bridge at midnight and said Bunny Man three times, he would appear. The only catch was that once he appeared, he would kill you. Frank believed in the legend because when he was 14, his best friend was found hanging from that bridge. The authorities declared it a suicide, but he never doubted what he knew to be the truth. It sounded insane, but if it worked, he wouldn't have to suffer long, and he could end all of this suffering once and for all. His mind was clear for the first time in a long time. If he had one more chance at life, he would take it, but his chances seemed to be all gone. Frank walked to the highway and hitched a ride. It was a 45-minute drive to Clifton. He hadn't been home in a long time.
1: This episode is sponsored by The Dead Files from Travel Channel. If you're listening to anything on the Eerie Cast network, odds are you love ghost stories. That's why I think you'll love The Dead Files from Travel Channel. Join hosts Amy Allen and Steve Deshavi as they investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the US. Each host offers a unique and exciting perspective for every case. Amy is a medium, seeing and speaking to those who are no longer in the world of the living. And Steve is a retired homicide detective who uses public records and witness testimony to piece together the history of the haunted location. Each episode of The Dead Files features a different, real haunting to possibly help the family struggling with its effects. One episode on Falconer New York deals with a family who keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They frequently witness a shadow figure lurking around their home. Amy and Steve receive their call and investigate, with Amy using her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. While Steve, separately, researches the history of the home, only to discover several previous residents who lived at the home died, confirming Amy's own findings. After their investigation, Amy and Steve must conclude with whether the house is safe to remain in or if it's time to get out. I really love the deferring perspectives and skill sets between the two hosts, and I think that's why The Dead Files is a must-listen podcast for any fan of the paranormal and supernatural. Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your
0: podcasts. According to legend, a man disguised as a bunny prowls the residential areas around our country's capital Despite how absurd it might seem at first, the Bunny Man has been a part of local lore for at least thirty years. Maryland and the District of Columbia had both recorded sightings of the alleged Bunny Man by 1973. His frequent and widespread appearances typically took place in remote areas and involved a man in a white rabbit costume, brandishing an axe and threatening children or damaging property. The Bunny Man had committed multiple grisly murders by the 1980s, by which time he had become even more of a frightening image. Despite the fact that he has been identified as far south as Culpeper, Virginia, his primary hangout has been the vicinity of the now famous Bunny Man Bridge, a railroad crossing near Fairfax Station, Virginia, that is popular with partygoers. Stories about the Bunny Man have persisted for over 25 years. Mostly among our teen population, the tale has developed into a ghost story over time, making it appropriate for sharing at gatherings, camping trips, and other events where such tales are told. According to legend, on Halloween at exactly midnight, a killer dressed as a white rabbit is waiting. According to lore, he will come if you say his name three times. Bunny Man, Bunny Man, Bunny Man. But don't count on surviving. He will slit your throat, then hang your corpse from the bridge. In another version of the story, the ghost of a mentally ill prisoner who escaped haunts the train bridge. He managed to flee from a place where he was determined to exact revenge for the neighboring killings of his wife and child. He made his home in the woods close to the bridge, where he slaughtered and ate rabbits while also wearing their skins and hanging their dismembered bodies from trees. He killed and dismembered some neighborhood kids one Halloween night, because they teased him, and then he hung their bodies from trees near the bridge. He's the ghost of an escapee from a nearby long-closed asylum, which is another variation of the same story. He attacks the cars of young couples who park by the bridge late at night by hurling axes, chainsaws, or hatchets at them while wearing a rabbit suit. The one-lane tunnel on Colchester Road is such a popular location that police stake it out each Halloween night, chasing away trespassers looking for a scare. There are numerous versions of the Bunny Man Bridge tale, all of which are equally eerie. The Bunny Man Bridge is frequently cited online and was featured in the Fox documentary Scariest Places on Earth, possibly bringing trade to the small community of Clifton which is hidden away in the woods between Manassas and Fairfax Station, is the story. A spooky image of a man in a rabbit suit may be found on the Clifton Haunted Trails website, which attracted thousands of visitors prior to the rumors. But what is the basis for the legend? In 1912, Peter Roy, a Danish immigrant from Minnesota, arrived in Fairfax. He acquired two 180-acre tracts of land in November of that year close to the current Old Keen Mill Road and Sidon Road intersection. Roy, a widower, rose to prominence as a farmer and an enthusiastic Lee Chapel Methodist Church member. His youngest daughter, Eva, her husband, William K. German, and his eldest daughter, Caroline, all lived with him. Around 9 a.m. on August 4, 1918, 14-year-old Eva Roy left her house in Burke to take care of her father's small herd of cows. That evening, when Eva didn't come home, her father started looking. Although neighbors were quickly called for assistance, it took nearly 24 hours for her body to be discovered, tied to a tree in the woods, next to the ancient Hans' house, with her apron ties tightly around her throat. The girl had been brutally attacked according to the county coroner, Dr. W. I. Roby, before she was strangled to death. An investigation by a coroner's panel rapidly came to the following conclusion. We, the jury, find that Eva Roy died at the hands of an unidentified person, and the evidence points to Lou Hall as the probable perpetrator of the murder. 33-year-old woodcutter Hall, who lived a half mile from the crime scene, was spotted in the woods close to the time the girl vanished. But more suspects were soon found and subsequently ruled out, making it difficult to crack the case. Few murders horrified Fairfax as much as the vicious and senseless attack of Mishra's Minnie Ridgway and her two young daughters, which was reported in many of the available newspapers. Mrs. Ridgway resided on Telegraph Road in Alexandria with her husband and three kids. A man who would ultimately be identified as Louis Borsig called at the house on the morning of March 4, 1927, claiming to be looking for Mr. Ridgway. Borsig attacked Minnie Ridgway and beat her into unconsciousness. He then, in a similar fashion, bashed her daughters, Loretta 7 and Catherine 5. Then he escaped after taking money from the house. A neighbor who heard moans coming from inside the house was the one who found the crime. The Alexandria Hospital received all three victims where Loretta later passed away. Before she passed away from her wounds, Catherine Ridgway survived for an additional eight days. After her recovery, Minnie was able to recognize the attacker, a person the Ridgways were familiar with. Borsig was detained at his residence and then taken to the Winchester Jail for his protection. Just three months after committing the horrifying act on July 7, 1927, Louis Borsig was put to death for the murders of Loretta and Catherine Ridgway. Now the first report, where a man in a bunny suit was involved, happened many years later in 1970. Brian A. Conley, a historian and archivist at the Fairfax County Public Library did a thorough investigation into the bunny man legend. He's discovered two instances of a man threatening individuals with an axe while dressed as a bunny. The vandalism reports in Burke, Virginia, in 1970 happened 10 days apart. Robert Bennett, a student at the United States Air Force Academy, and his fiancée, who were in Burke visiting family, reported the first event that evening on Guinea Road. They reportedly parked their car in a field on Guinea Road around midnight after leaving a football game to visit an uncle, who resided across the street from where the automobile was parked. They were sitting in the front seat with the engine running when they saw movement outside the back window. A short while later the front passenger window was broken, and a white-clad man was standing next to the damaged window, while the man yelled at them about trespassing and said, You're on private property and I have your tag number. Bennett turned the car around. The couple found a hatchet on the car floor while they were traveling down the road. Bennett stated that the man was dressed in a white suit and had long rabbit ears when the police asked for a description of the individual. Bennett's fiancé argued that their attacker had some form of white pointy hat rather than bunny ears on his head. Although they both remembered clearly seeing his face, the darkness prevented them from identifying his race. After examination, the cops gave Bennett the hatchet back. On the evening of October 29, 1970, a construction security guard named Paul Phillips approached a man who was standing on the porch of an unfinished house in Kings Park, west off Guinea Road. This is when the second sighting was reportedly made. The individual, according to Phillips, was about 20 years old, stood 5 feet 8 inches tall, and weighed about 175 pounds, while donning a gray, black, and white bunny outfit. Using a long-handled axe, the man started hacking at the porch post while declaring, You're intruding! I'll chop off your head if you go any nearer! Both of the events, investigations, by the Fairfax County Police were later closed for lack of evidence. More than 50 people contacted the police in the weeks after the incidents claiming to have seen the Bunny Man. The Bunny Man was said to have devoured a man's stray cat, according to a number of publications, including the Washington Post. Near Sangster Station, a railroad stop from the Civil War era, on what was originally the Orange and Alexandria Railroad, Colchester Overpass was constructed in the early 1900s. The overpass is a favorite spot for curious people and those interested in the paranormal due to its connection to the folklore. Around Halloween, when interest is at its peak, local authorities started restricting access to the region starting in 2003. During a 14-hour traffic checkpoint into the area on Halloween 2011, more than 200 people, some from as far away as the Pennsylvania-Maryland state boundary, were turned away. Who the Bunny Man was, and what motivated him to act in such a bizarre manner, is still a mystery today. It was dark by the time Frank reached Clifton. He didn't want to be seen in town in the shape he was in with his tattered and stained clothes and worn-out duffel bag. He remembered an old run-down house that he and his friends used to hang out in to drink beer, smoke weed, and look up porn on their phones. The Fairfax Bridge was only an hour and a half walk from where he was, but his body had reached its limits for the day. He was feeling nauseous and weak. He would rest tonight and work his way to the bridge tomorrow. He wanted to walk past the house where he had grew up and get one last look. Most of his best memories had been there with his parents when they were both still alive. Now all he had in this town was his ex-wife and friends that he didn't want to see. He just wanted to walk down memory lane one last time. He didn't know if this bunny man thing was going to work, but if it didn't, he would find a way to summon up the courage to step in front of a train or something while he was here. When he got to the old house, it was even more run down than he remembered, no less than he expected. It had been a lifetime since he had been here, and the walls that were once solid had holes where the weather and age had broken the wood loose. Every window was now vacant of glass, and there were several huge holes in the roof. He could see that because what was left of the ceiling was now laying on the ground. He tossed his bag into the cleanest corner he could find and dropped down on it. Within minutes, Frank was sound asleep, dreaming of happier days. The next morning came early. It wasn't daylight that woke Frank, but the chill in the air. The first frost of the season had arrived early, and the air had a bite to it. At first he was confused. he had forgotten where he was and why he was there. He thought he was 16 again and camping out with his friends. After several minutes of rubbing his eyes and looking around, harsh reality worked its way cruelly back into his consciousness. Frank's body hurt from head to toe, and even though he was still nauseous, his stomach rumbled with hunger. He remembered then that he had wrapped half of his last hospital meal into a paper towel and shoved it into his duffel bag. He dug through the bag and pulled out the paper towel. Inside was a piece of stale toast, a banana, and a bottle of water. It could have been a gourmet meal as far as Frank was concerned. He was starving. He was finishing off the banana when he heard the crunching of leaves outside. He stopped to listen for a moment. It sounded like someone was walking around outside of the broken-down house. He shoved what was left of the water back into his bag and zipped it shut. It was time to vacate before someone came around to run him off. As he left the house through the front door, he tripped over something and almost fell. It was the body of a small gray rabbit. Frank bent down to touch it and found that its throat had been slit. Its fur was covered in blood, but its body was still warm to the touch. Frank shivered. Normally this would be his next meal, but he didn't have time for that. As he walked away, he wondered for a second where it had come from but he had other thoughts pushing the rabbit quickly from his mind. The town of Clifton was mostly still sleeping when he walked through. The streets were empty except for the occasional car that would pass by as early risers headed off to work. Frank walked down the street to the cul-de-sac he had grown up in and found the house unchanged except for fresh paint and a chain link fence that had not been there before. He looked sadly at the window to his old room And wished that he could go back in time after that he moved on through town noticing many changes but also many things that were still the same it was still a small town and it wasn't long before he was on the other side and headed towards fairfax station he could have hitched a ride but he wasn't in any hurry to meet the fate that awaited him even though he was happy that it was a fate of his own choosing It took more than an hour and a half to make the walk. With his liver not functioning, he was quickly growing weaker and weaker. He had to stop and rest several times. He had even sat down once and fallen asleep, about ready to give up. He thought that this was it. But when he woke, he decided he might as well push on. It was late by the time he found the railway leading to the bridge, and even later by the time he found it. Working his way down the hillside, trying not to stumble, he finally found the entrance to the tunnel beneath it. Frank sat his big bag down and then sat down beside it, and pulled out the bottle of water that only had a few sips left. After he downed it, he looked around the dark interior of the tunnel and remembered the stories he had been told. Had there really been dead rabbits hanging from this tunnel? Had the escapee from the asylum really committed suicide here? And the murders, could they possibly be real too? He didn't know, but he was finally ready to find out. Frank leaned his head back on the concrete walls of the tunnel, closed his eyes, and took a deep breath before speaking. Finally, he said the words, Bunny Man, Bunny Man, Bunny Man. He chuckled a little when he was done because he felt like a fool, but that wasn't anything new to him. The chuckle turned into full-scale laughter until Frank began to choke, and then he began to retch. His stomach gave up what little contents it held as he vomited on the ground. He was on his knees when everything started to spin. He tried to grab onto something to maintain his balance, but it was no use. His body wouldn't obey him, and he went limp and fell to the ground. He was staring up at the ceiling of the tunnel. It was dark and beginning to blur, but someone looked down at him. It was a rabbit, a large, man-sized, white rabbit. Then he began to see flashing blue lights but even the lights couldn't pull him out of the darkness. That was the last thing Frank saw before he passed out. Beeping, again with the beeping. Frank just wanted to sleep, but that beeping was driving him crazy. His eyes began to flutter and finally open. Frank's heart sank when he saw that he was once again in a hospital room. This time there was a doctor standing next to his bed, a different one from before. He was older and had white hair and a beard. Hello, Mr. Morris. Nice to see you decided to join the Land of the Living. Nice for who? Frank mumbled. The doctor ignored him and continued on. I've some good news for you, Mr. Morris. I will give you time to wake up and get oriented and then I'll come back and explain what's going on, the doctor said. Frank tried to sit up, but he was too weak. He laid there looking around the room, wondering how he had ended up like this again. The outcome would all be the same. The TV hanging in the corner of the room caught his attention. It was a news report talking about a killing spree of some sort. That's all he caught before the doctor walked back in. (coughs) Mr. Morris, I am Dr. Harmon. I'm a hepatologist, he began to explain. But Frank interrupted him. How did I get here? The doctor looked at his chart as if he didn't know the answer or was thinking about avoiding it, but then answered. A sheriff's deputy from Fairfax Station found you under a train bridge. You were in a coma for almost a week. A week? Frank replied, unbelieving. Yes. The doctor continued i see from your records that you're well aware of your medical condition he asked frank nodded his head yes he was well aware that he should be dead but instead he was reliving this nightmare all over again mr morris when you left the hospital before there was no funding for your treatment but i've got good news an anonymous donor has offered to pay all of your expenses Frank stared blankly at the doctor in shock, not sure if he was hearing him right. That's not all of the good news either, Mr. Morris. We already have a donor. If you will sign off on it, we will begin to prepare you for a liver transplant. Frank continued to stare, dazed at the news as the doctor handed him a clipboard with the required paperwork and a consent form. Silently, Frank signed the papers and watched as the doctor turned and left the room. Could this really be happening? He was going to get a second chance at life? The tears caught him off guard as he began to cry. He was rubbing his eyes when he heard a tap on the window that ran across the ICU room. He looked up to find a large white rabbit standing there looking at him now he was doubting his sanity maybe he was already dead the rabbit began to wave at him a slow creepy movement a nurse entered the room and blocked frank's view of the person in the rabbit suit she took his vitals and said some things that frank didn't hear when she left the rabbit was gone they had frank prepped and ready for surgery that evening Everything went smooth, and he was in recovery within a few hours. It wasn't until the next day that he woke to find out that he had a new liver and was doing well. His recovery took almost two weeks, but it would be a few months before he was fully recovered. Frank was worrying about where he would stay while he was getting ready to be discharged. He had no family left and nowhere to go, but he seemed to be on a lucky streak. His care nurse brought his discharge papers and with it an envelope. Inside was a letter. It stated that a local church had paid the rent for an apartment for the next three months. The tears came again. It was like a guardian angel had been looking out for him. He was so grateful for this second chance that he swore with all his heart he would give it everything he had to become whole again. The envelope also held a gift card for a local grocery store. So once he was discharged he found his new apartment and then went to the store for groceries. On the way back he stopped at a convenience store. He still had close to 20 bucks in his pocket from the hundred dollar bill that had bought his last round of alcohol. He walked inside the grocery store and purchased a lottery ticket and thought to himself, why not? My luck seems to be on a roll. As he was paying, He saw the monitor that plays the security footage behind the cashier. It was showing the back of the store where the beverage coolers were located. Frank watched in horror as a large white rabbit stared back at him through the screen. He grabbed the ticket from the man at the counter, told him to keep the change and exited the store as quickly as he could. He kept looking over his shoulder all the way back to his apartment, but there was no sign of the rabbit. He locked the door behind him and peeked through the mini-blinds. Still no rabbit. Maybe he was going crazy. The apartment was furnished. It was old and used, but to Frank, it was heaven after so many years on the streets. It was a one-room with a full-sized bed, a TV, and a small kitchenette. The only other room was a tiny bathroom. Frank sat down on the edge of the bed and flipped on the TV, trying to distract himself and change his line of thoughts. But what he saw made his anxiety worsen. It was another news story. Apparently, there had been multiple murders over the last few weeks. Every victim had been attacked and mutilated with a hatchet. There was no evidence and no suspects at this time. Frank was beginning to feel sick. He needed to rest. This was too much to deal with after just having a major surgery. He switched off the TV, laid back on the bed and tried to go to sleep. And he dozed on and off for a couple of hours, mostly tossing and turning. Giving up, he sat up and realized he hadn't put his groceries up. So he went to the kitchen and began emptying the bags. He had put the last can in the cabinet and shut the door when he heard singing.
1: Little bunny foo-foo, hopping through the forest, scooping up the field mice and popping them on
0: the head. It sounded like a small child, but that didn't make it any less terrifying. Frank went to the window and looked outside. He was relieved when he saw a little girl sitting on the curb singing to a stuffed rabbit that she held in her hands. It just felt too ominous. He felt like he may have summoned a demon that night under the bridge at the time that's what he wanted but not now now he wanted to live he could still hear the girl singing and it was driving him crazy so he covered his ears but it wasn't enough for the first time he felt the urge to drink he fought it for what seemed like forever until he finally gave in he dug through his pockets and counted his change he had enough for a little but that's all he needed. He opened the door cautiously and looked around. It was getting dark, but if he hurried, he could be back before the sunset. Frank took off as fast as he could to the liquor store that he had seen around the corner. He bought the cheapest pint of vodka that he could find and then practically ran home. Once he was safely behind the locked door of his apartment, he opened the bottle and turned it up, downing the whole thing on an empty stomach and with a fresh liver the buzz hit him almost immediately he fell back in a chair and melted he sat there in a stupor until someone pounded hard on the door causing him to nearly jump out of the chair the banging persisted growing louder and louder Frank covered his ears again and yelled at the door go away the banging stopped and just as he relaxed One loud bang sent the door crashing open so hard that it slammed against the wall. Frank stood up as the bunny man stepped through the door. He was spattered in blood from head to toe. His hideous costume looked like he had worn it for years. Its eyes glowed red, and its mouth held an evil scowl. Frank began backing away but tripped over the chair and landed on the bed. He tried to crawl backwards, but the bedspread bunched up beneath him, and all he could manage was to watch as the giant bloody rabbit raised a hatchet over its head and brought it down with all its force. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts such as Destination Terror and Tales from the Breakroom. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to Carrion at gmail.com. That is C A R M A N C A R R I O N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we discuss the siren, a murderous creature from Greek folklore with a voice that can kill. Until next time, stay safe out there because this world is a strange one.